Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. Good to have some of our regular members back in Seaville. Good to have some visitors. We are glad you are here. We really are. I'm glad to have Matthew and Caroline, daughter Matthew and her husband, uh, daughter Caroline. It's going to be a bad morning if I get that messed up. Daughter Caroline, husband Matthew with us. Today's their last day here. They are moving to Maryville in East Tennessee uh, starting tomorrow, so we're going to miss them. Also glad to have uh, son Chris and daughter-in-law Elsa here today visiting up here from Memphis. Uh, Leanne is going to be on the road shortly, if she isn't already, to a funeral just north of Jackson. A friend of ours' mother died this past week. So a lot of moving parts and moving pieces. That's what we call life, really is. We're glad you were here this morning. Uh, let me start off and simply ask the question, why are we here? Why are we here? Why are you here? I think the basic answer to that would be to worship God. That's what we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings, when we gather together as a group of God's people. And next week, we're going to focus on worship and talk about what we do and why when we gather together for worship. But I want this morning to look at a slightly different aspect of that. I want to look at what we are supposed to do for each other when we gather together. And I want to do that by looking at the passage that was read from Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. I'm freely going to admit that the approach I plan to take with Hebrews 10 is not the way I've heard it used nearly my entire life. But I really think that the attention that we will pay to the way things are worded in Hebrews 10, I really truly believe is closer to what the writer of Hebrews had intended. It's not something original with me, but I think it makes a great deal more sense. So take a look at it with me here this morning. Hebrews 10, picking up in verse 23. The writer of Hebrews, and no one knows who that was, a writer early in the uh, third century said, who wrote the book of Hebrews? God only knows. So some people had thought it was Paul or others. No one knows, even all the way back then, who wrote the book of Hebrews. But the writer has a great deal to say that's very important, and that is why it is part of our Bible. Let's pick up in verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This idea of hold fast is in a continuous mode. Keep on holding fast. You've got to keep holding on to the uh, confession of our hope without wavering so that it does not waver. You know, life throws a lot of things at us, and sometimes it's not easy to stay the course, to stay on track. We tend to sometimes waver and weave, as we might say. The confession, however, I think is really important to note here, is one of hope. The confession of our hope. We do not have in any way a confession of despair. The idea of despair in the life of one of God's children is really something that should not be there, although I know it does show up in the lives of God's people, his, his family. It's really not supposed to be, because of all people breathing on the face of the earth today, 
Those of us who are members of God's family should be the ones with hope. With hope. And so it is a life of hope, a confession, a profession of hope as we go through our daily walk. What is that hope in? It's in the promises that are better than the ones God gave earlier to his people. The book of Hebrews looks back at how God interacted with his people in what we would call the Old Testament in the older times, and then points out how it's so radically different now that God sent his son. And this confession of our hope, we need to hold on to. The reason it's a confession of hope is because he who promised is faithful. And those promises are to take us home with him, to forgive our sins, and to take us home with him. So, so much a, a better covenant, a better set of promises than what people have been given before. God is faithful. He will do what he promised. And notice how it continues, Hebrews 10. It says, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without it wavering, without any weaving back and forth. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, let us consider. This word consider is the idea of putting your mind down on a thing to fix your mind on something. Focus on it. Let's pay close attention to what he's about to discuss here. Let us consider, let us focus, let us put our mind, very much the attention of our mind, on what? How to stir up one another to love and good works. I don't know about you, but I remember as a child, uh, my mother, usually my mom, my dad didn't do this very much. See if you have the same experience in your past. Mother talking to the children. You guys are always trying to stir up what, what came after that? Trouble. I heard trouble. <laughs> you guys are always trying to stir up something or to stir up trouble because that's what we were. We, brother and I were a year and a half apart. Well, we were into things all the time. Stir up trouble. That's not the usage of the word here. It's a positive thing, although it can stir up trouble, right? It can stir up some bad things. Stir up or provoke, is another way of saying the same thing, is the word where we get flare up or convulsion. You know, when somebody goes into convulsions, it's a noticeable difference. They were perhaps sitting still, they were standing, they were going through whatever they were doing, and suddenly this is a very different circumstance for this individual. They have been provoked, they've been stirred up, they've had a flare up, they've had a convulsion. It's this idea of incite, Stimulate. Let us incite one another not to go out and do terrible things out in the neighborhood, but incite one another to do what? Love and good works. The words used in a good sense right here in Hebrews 10, it's used in one of those negative senses back in Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas parted ways. You may remember they had gone on a missionary journey together and then they had a severe disagreement about whether John Mark should go along with them on the second journey. And they became so incited, so provoked, so convulsed, so stirred up, they had to go their separate ways and ended up telling even more people about Jesus. We are to stir up one another to love 
and good works. And this word love here is agape. The writer wants us to remember that we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus, not simply for our own sake, to make sure we have had our lives set up so that we are one of God's children and God will take us home. That's an important aspect of living, making sure that we are in the right kind of relationship to God, that our hearts are in the right place. But we can't do that. We cannot do that if we're not also focused on other people. We are to stir up one another to love and good works, to love other people. No one ever saved their soul who devoted their entire time and energy to save it, right? But many have saved their souls by being so concerned about other people that they more or less forgot they had a soul to save. You know, you're unlikely to save your own soul by living for God out on a rock in the middle of nowhere. You're much more likely to be the right kind of person that God wants you to be when you're so focused on other people, you actually forget about yourself. It's easy to drift into a, some sort of a selfish Christianity where we're doing these things for our own selves. But that really, really has to be a contradiction in terms. How is it possible? How can there be a selfish Christian? Jesus was not selfish. I'm supposed to be living my life following his example. Paul was following Jesus. Paul wanted us to follow him. We are to follow Jesus. You can't be selfish. Focusing on, what's the, what's the phrase? Number one, or focusing on yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't do it. So we are to stir up, provoke one another to love and good works. Good works means that we really have to pour ourselves into service. And that's one of the things I really, really love about Leslie Avenue. Earl read the list of things that are, we're involved in in just the next two weeks. Big time stuff. A, a live scene getting people to focus on the birth of Jesus. Was Jesus born in December? Almost certainly not. Is most of the world, if they think about Jesus at all during the year, going to be thinking about Jesus in December? Absolutely. And perhaps by having them focus on Jesus as a baby, we can encourage them to think about what Jesus did for them when he was an adult. We've got the ability to help a classroom, a grade of young students that could really use help. We've got the ability to encourage people who have graduated from a class in somewhat financial literacy, which is not an easy thing to get if you don't have it modeled to you as you grow up. Encouragement across the parking lot. You've got all these beautiful little young people who have sat right here on these front rows of the pews ready to watch a veggie tale movie. They had been studying about the ocean. And when I was able to talk to them, I said, I hear you studied about the ocean. What's in the ocean? Remember one little boy said, sharks. Of course he did, right? And I told them there was a book in the Bible that focused on the ocean. It had a big giant fish in it. And that's what the VeggieTale movie was about. Being involved with our community. 
being involved with good works. Good works. One way we can do that is to set a very good example. If I am involved in good works, if you are involved in good works, we encourage each other by our example of being busy with what God wants us to do. I know I've told the story about being shamed when I was trying to leave an event that had happened at another congregation at some place I needed to be instead of hanging around to put the chairs back up and to make sure everything was clean. So I was trying to make the great escape to slide out the side door. And right when I got to the door, I made a mistake of like Lot's wife, right? Looking back, and I saw one of the leaders of the congregation, an old man, dragging chairs across the floor so he could go further down. He didn't know I saw her. But I had that moment of, and we all know that feeling, right? Shame. But what an example he was. I don't leave quickly anymore unless I have to drive out of town. And that last one, so sorry, right? I don't know. The example can help other people. We've got to stir up one another so that if one of us is having a, a problem being actively involved in good works by seeing one of our brothers or sisters involved, we can stir each other up. It's been said that a saint is someone who whom Christ stands revealed. If we're a follower of Jesus, they shouldn't see us. They should see Jesus as we go through our day to day. You can always seek to incite others to goodness by showing Jesus living in us. And I think that's really the important aspect of this, to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And notice this next phrase, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. Not forsaking, some translations will say, not neglecting, not leaving behind, not leaving in the lurch. Right? Obviously, Christians met together. They did. I mean, you wouldn't say this if it wasn't a habit of meeting together. And some people had gotten out of the habit of meeting together. But for what purpose? Why were they meeting together? Meeting together was the primary place, perhaps the primary place, where people were stirred up and provoked to love each other and to engage in good works. That's what the writer is saying right there. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How will I do that if I'm out and about and I'm not with other people who by their example of love, their example of concern, their example of being involved in good works are not visible to me. When I'm having a bad week, it helps me to see the smiling face. It helps me to see someone else who has the courage to go through their day. It helps me to see someone else who loves them. Then follows right after stirring up one another with not neglecting to meet together. If you don't assemble, you can't get stirred up with the language the writer is using right here. One of the primary reasons we get together is to incite one another to love and good works. Now, absolutely, 
the purpose for which we come is to worship God. We're going to talk about that next week. Don't get me wrong. But as a secondary purpose, it's critically important to meet together, to provoke one another, to get out there, quit feeling down when things don't go our way, and to do good to other people and focus on loving other people instead of poor, poor, pitiful me. And that happens Look at what it says here again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead of forsaking the assembly, instead of not meeting together, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to worship and gather together. There were some among those whom the writer of Hebrews was writing who had abandoned the habit. I can do this on my own. I don't need to get together with my brothers and sisters. You can try to be a Christian in isolation, but it isn't going to work. I call this the Lone Ranger Christianity. Anybody under 30 is like, who? Right? But the Lone Ranger, the, the Lone Ranger is this person who's out there on their own trying to handle it all on their own. You can't do it. And it flies in the face of this point, the writer made. We need to meet together to provoke and incite one another to love and good works. Now, we have to encourage one another. One of the highest duties is that of encouragement. When we get together in a group this size, somebody's probably feeling down. Somebody's had a harder week than you have. Unless you happen to be the one with the hardest lead. One person will have the hardest lead kind of the group that gathers together. But we need to encourage. It's easy to laugh at someone with their ideals, pour cold water on their enthusiasm. I mean, how many times do ideas get brought up where the first response is, well, that'll never work. No one ever said anything easier than that because it doesn't require any other efforts to discourage them. The world is full of discouragers. It really is. Many times a simple word of praise or of thanks or appreciation has kept somebody on their feet that might have had a difficult time staying on their feet without it. Sometimes you don't know that your word of encouragement had that effect. We've got a responsibility to be encouragers. And he even says, all the more so as you see the day approach. Every time you get together, be more of an encourager than you were the time before. Because the time is short. Now, nearly 2,000 years has gone since the probable time of the writing here, the letter to these Hebrews. The time's getting shorter every day. That we can say, it's certainly getting shorter every day. The day is approaching. I really believe he's talking about the return of Jesus, the time that we have here to be involved in love and good works, the time we have here to be an encourager. gets shorter every day. Kind of by definition. It really does. It gets shorter every day. You've got to realize that we don't know when that summons is coming, when that end is going to be. In the time that we have, it's our duty to do all the good we can all the people we can and all the ways we can. If I have to face God at some point in the future 
and say, I know I will face God, but if I have to give an explanation for why did I do that, I, I really truly would much rather have the response be for me, I was just trying to do good than to have ignored the possibility to do good and said, well, I wasn't sure if it was okay. I will always, I, my personal thought is, I will always err on doing something to try to help than to worry about whether something's okay. I'll, I'll stand on that. I, hopefully that's not wrong. But I will always look for ways to help and encourage people. And my time is short. I don't know how much time I have. None of us do. None of us do. Then you get to this last phrase. This is the one that's phrase that so many of us know who've been going to uh, services for a long time. Read the whole passage here again. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, if we sin when we know better, and he goes into a discussion of that, well, it's really not tied in any way directly to that statement of neglecting the meat together. It's not. The willful sin is not skipping a church service. And I promise you, I have heard that most of my life. I have. I mean, who wants to get up and say it's not a sin to skip a worship service? Nobody. But why is it so important to get together? It's not because you're committing this stated willful sin right here if you happen to miss it. Look at the context. If I do not assemble with God's people, I am not going to be provoked. I'm not going to be stirred up to love and to focus on other people. And if I am not stirred up for that, what greatly is increased in terms of what I might be? If I'm not here to be encouraged, if I'm not here to be stirred up, I believe I miss the opportunity to avoid making wrong choices in the future. The reason to meet together is to be encouraged, to be more a loving person, to be a person who is focusing on good works, and that will help me avoid doing things that are wrong. Look at the passage again. Not attending means we are not stirred up to love and good works. We are not encouraged by our brothers and sisters, which makes us more influenced by the world and more likely to sin. That is really and truly the message of these verses. Why do we gather here on Sunday mornings? Why do we gather here at Wednesday Avenue? We gather here to worship God. We gather here to encourage one another provoke one another to love and good works so that we will stay holding on to our confession of hope and be following after Jesus. And when I'm not here, when I choose to do something else, when I am not assembling with the family that I have, I'm not encouraged. And that increases the likelihood that I'm going to be discouraged. That increases the likelihood I'm not going to focus on love, but on other people I'm going to be focusing on myself. That increases the likelihood that I won't be involved in good works. And the opposite of all of those are things that we don't want to be involved in. 
message of this passage is to provoke one another to love and good works and encourage one another by gathering together when we meet to worship God. So, why is life so hard? Why do we need encouraging? Well, we all know why life is so hard. Things don't go the way we want them to, the way we plan. People that we build our lives on leave our lives. Things don't work out at work. They don't work out in finances or whatever it may be. Things are hard. They are hard. By gathering together, we share with the burdens that each of us have. We hopefully bear one another's burdens and make life easier for our brothers and sisters by love and provoking them to good works. It's also not easy to be away from home. I mean, we all tentatively know that. We know what it's talking about. It's not easy when you're away from home. I remember dropping off people at college. Whoa. Pretty big change. I'm not going to, you know, be going back to where I have the big giant stuffed teddy bear sitting on the room that's been there since I was five. Well, remember, we are all away from home because this world is not our home. Our home is with God. We're not there. We are merely strangers here below. It's hard. We're away from home. And we are also away from home because of our choices. We have separated ourselves from our Father with no real hope of going home. When we choose to live for ourselves, we have walked away from God. And there's not any hope of anything I can do to fix that. That separation, that lack of hope, remained until. God sent his son Jesus to bring us back home. If we will renounce our pride, get up and say, I will go back to my father. That's the hope that we all have today. Is that if you are not a member of God's family, that you will return to God. You will recognize what he did out of love by sending his son. You can turn away from living for yourself. Commit yourself to living for God. Confess your belief in what Jesus did for you and who he is. And then as we say, be immersed in water to die to yourself and be raised to walk as a new person. Or if you're a member of God's family and you just haven't been feeling encouraged, you have been feeling discouraged, you have not been feeling provoked to love and good works, this is also your opportunity come and to ask for forgiveness if it's needed or simply a prayer of encouragement. Whatever need you have, this is the time. So please, please think about it as together we stand this.